0: Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is the word of the Lord. Today we start a new series, and uh, I've been looking forward to doing this really for years. John and I have been talking about this for years, and I have been looking forward to, to teaching through the creed for a long time, and so I'm fired up about this. I I hope that you will see it as, um, as valuable and beneficial, and it, it really will strengthen your faith. So... What we're gonna do over the next several weeks is just walk through the creed together. It's a very familiar confession of faith that Christians have been reciting for almost 2,000 years, affirming, reciting, uh, saying in moments of challenge, whether it's a Protestant reformer or a martyr being asked to deny his faith. The creed is an incredibly Uh, beautiful summary of the Christian faith. And so we're going to dive into that, and our hope is that you will be, over the next 12 to 14 weeks, we're going to do this between now and Easter, that you will be strengthened as we walk through each article of the Creed. Today, we will simply start with the phrase, I believe. Um, We said the Creed together at the top of the service. I want us to just think this morning about some introductory ideas and thoughts, really centering in on the phrase... I believe, because everyone believes in something, do you think that's true? And I don't just mean cognitive data, like intellectual data, like of course, of course, every human being who's a thinking creature, their mind gets filled with information. I'm not talking about data, I'm talking about believing in something. Everyone, there are no truly agnostic people. Everybody really believes in something Everybody really everybody's really moving towards something, chasing something, interested in something. Um, nobody believes in nothing that's not good grammar, but it, it's clear nobody believes in nothing. It's hard to believe in nothing you can't believe in nothing you've got to have something that drives you something that that so, people believe in all sorts of things. Some people believe in the discovery of self, or the progress of mankind, or solutions to world hunger, or saving the earth. One, one presidential candidate is going hard after saving the earth, very clearly saying that's the deal. Space exploration, we have a new, we have a new military branch, space ex- exploration. Um, Modern medicine, like these are good things. Some people have given their hearts and minds and souls to to curing diseases and the goal is to cure all diseases. We're going after that heart. We believe in curing and we believe in modern medicine, we believe in health, we believe in solving those problems. and So people give themselves wholeheartedly to so many good things. People also give themselves wholeheartedly to dark things evil things and really believe in those. James says the demons believe and they tremble. Well, the belief is not just about good things. So so what we want to do, what I'm hoping we'll do throughout this series is that we will we will stoke your energy and fire and fuel your love for God, that you would begin to love, know Him and love Him more than ever, that you would learn things that would draw you to a place with your walk with God that would, would be lasting and, and life-changing for you, and that it wouldn't just be a doctrinal exposition like, we came to church today again and we learned about the doctrine of the Trinity and the hypostatic union and things like that. that that's not what I'm doing, okay? We want We want you to be changed by the gospel okay now i am resisting my desire to kind of geek out on some of these theological terms but what i want more than anything is that you would experience life change like you would meet god in a fresh way through his word and through the power of the gospel and so that's what we want to do Um, today just to kind of get things started i want to begin with three answering three questions. Number one, what is the Apostles' Creed? Number two, where did it come from? And number three, how did it help us? How does it help us? What is it? Where did it come from? And how does it help us? Let's think about the first one. Start with the word creed. The word creed, um, the English word creed, comes from the first line of the creed as it appeared early in the Latin text, the ancient Latin creed, which says, I believe, credo, first word of the creed, I believe. So, we get our English word creed from that first line of the ancient Latin creed. So, the first thing to know about a creed, then is that, and this goes for the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or any other summary of the Christian faith, is that it is a statement of belief. It's a statement of faith. It's an attempt to summarize the most important parts of what Christians believe, the most important things that Christians believe. That's what a creed is. A creed is a summary of the Christian faith. It's not exhaustive. It was never meant to be exhaustive, but it is theologically precise. And it captures the heart of the gospel in a fairly comprehensive scope. So, you know, it, has, it begins with the Father, God the Father Almighty, who's the maker or creator of heaven and earth, and it ends with the consummation of all things. Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead. And so, it, while it's not really long, it does have a comprehensive scope. It's got a big picture scope and... Um, and it really serves us well to see the main points of the Christian faith. It's been used for almost 2,000 years to train children. I would encourage you, if, you are, if you're uh, still in your formative family years, to use the creed to train your children. Uh, to, to think about it as a prayer you could use at the table or a doctrinal uh, lesson on occasion. Uh, it, it's been used to voice faith in the moment of crisis, as I said earlier. Um, or even at one's baptism, it's been used to teach Christian doctrine uh, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's probably the most common outline for teaching Christian doctrine that's ever been used for the history of the church. So, it's a statement of faith. It's got all sorts of uh, helpful uses that come with it. But it's not just a statement of faith, and this is, this is really key. This is probably the most important aspect of this first point. It is not just a statement of faith. It is a personal confession of faith. So we believe that if Christianity doesn't come alive to you in a personal confession of faith, that it's not real Christianity. And, and through, a, through this confession of faith, like the creed as an example, through this confession of faith, I can discover whether or not I have true faith. Because, so if I make this personal confession, if I say I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, if I say that, I'm taking my faith, and I'm tying it to the true faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, biblical faith. And that's really the only way I can be sure that I've got good, true, solid faith. One other thing I need to say at this point um, that I think is important is that the creed is not, it's not a magical formula. So, so we do not believe, Christians do not believe in incantations or chants like, like, a, like it's a magical chant. Like when we all say this together on Sunday morning, if we say it again next week and you say it with us, automatically because you say that you'd become a Christian. That's not what we believe. It's not magical, it's not a um, sort of spontaneous formula for salvation, it doesn't work that way. It has to be mingled with true faith. We just read about it, Romans ten nine and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this is what we believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved, for with the heart one believes and is justified. It's with the heart, with the heart one believes and then is made right, is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So belief and confession, they're really, some, some people like to point out that there's an order here between belief and confession. I think Paul's point is that they are really tightly connected. I don't think he's trying to make a distinction between believing first and then confessing or confessing first and then believing. I think what he's saying is these two things are both necessary for you to genuinely be saved. So you have to believe in your heart, that's how you get justified. And you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Because until you confess that Jesus is Lord out loud, until you can say that, until you can verbalize that, it's not really happened to you that your faith is in Christ. So saying the creed, like just reciting the creed, doesn't make anybody a a Christian, right? Just saying words doesn't make anybody a Christian. What makes a person a Christian is believing with all of your heart and soul that your only hope is Jesus. He's the only way. So, what is the creed? I think I would say this, it is a, it's a beautiful and precise summary of the Christian faith. It doesn't say everything, but it is a, a beautiful and precise summary of the Christian faith. It's a biblical summary of the Christian faith, And when it's mingled with true faith, it can serve as your own personal confession. This is what I believe. This is who I am. This is what my life is about. And once you begin to see how clear the gospel is in the creed, I think you'll begin to own that personally. Here's the second point. Where did it come from? Shortest answer, the creed comes from the pages of the Bible itself. Now, it's more complicated than that, and there's a lot to say about the relationship between Scripture and tradition and authority and religious authority and who determined what the creed was, what what the exact words are. A lot to talk about. I don't want to bore you with that this morning, but I want to just simply make this statement and, and try to help you see the value of it The creed comes from the pages of the Bible itself. The creed is not the Bible, right? We want to be very clear about that. Uh, The creed is not the Bible. Throughout the next 12 to 14 weeks, we're going to be preaching the Scriptures and the Gospel in concert with the creed. I'm not going to be preaching the creed. Like, are you following me? It would be, so we're preaching the Bible and we're preaching the Gospel, and the creed becomes the way to... The, the way to color in details and, 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 and show you the content of those things. But I'm not, I'm not preaching the creed. We don't, we're not, we're not, the goal is not to love the creed. The goal is to love God, whom the creed describes, right? So the creed comes from the pages of the Bible. The creed is not the Bible, but it does, this is, this is important, it does take its every cue from Scripture. It, it really does. For example, let me give you one example. The phrase, Jesus is Lord, in the Creed, the phrase, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord, His Son, our Lord. Where's the phrase, our Lord, come from in the Creed? It comes from the Bible. The repeated refrain of the apostles over and over again in the New Testament is this simple sentence, Jesus is Lord. Some scholars suggest that the earliest creed, in fact, is those three words, Jesus is Lord. If somebody could come to confess those three words, Jesus is Lord, like for them, for those early Christians, that's a statement. The emperor is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord, I'm not sovereign, Jesus is Lord, He's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. So the earliest form of the creed, really, uh, as a confessional statement, comes from the Bible itself in those. Three, if, if you read through the book of Acts and you watch for this language, you'll see it over and over again in the book of Acts. People are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that mean? In the authority, under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. You'll see it over and over again in the Book of Acts. So that's why the second part of the creed. There's three parts to the creed: Father, Son, and Spirit. The second part of the creed says, "I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord." It's the gospel call, embedded in the creed. Like the reason we love the creed is that it keeps bringing us back to the gospel. So when you recite the creed, you're 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 being called to believe the gospel again. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? So that's why I'm saying it's not the Bible, but it takes its every cue from Scripture. And you'll also find, if you wanna press into this argument a little bit further, you'll also find in other places in Scripture other standalone confessional statements. For example, Philippians 2, five through 11. Some of you've memorized Philippians 2, five through 11. It's a beautiful portion of Scripture, and it's a standalone confessional kind of statement. It's either an early hymn, or it's a, a creedal summary of who Christ is. Same thing happens in First Timothy 3:16. There's a six-line poem in First Timothy 3:16 that Paul takes from somewhere else. Uh, either he crafted it on his own at some point, or he picked it up from somewhere as a confessional statement, and he weaves it into First Timothy 3. It's very clearly got a poetic structure and a rhythm, and a, it's you know it's got six lines. I mean, there's there's no question about it that this is serving as a confessional statement. So what you find as you read the Bible is that all throughout scripture there are these little flashes of confessional statements or creedal summaries of the gospel. That's why we would want to that's why we want to say the concept of a creed or a confessional statement is very biblical. In fact, Some people have argued against that and said, look, we have no creed but the Bible. No creed but the Bible. We don't believe in creeds. We believe in the Bible only. No creed but the Bible. I would say be careful with that position because the Bible itself teaches us by both example and instruction that we are a confessing people. We are a creedal people. We have to say we believe in something inasmuch as every line of the creed is truly biblical we're not betraying our allegiance to scripture by affirming it in fact we're reminding ourselves how to interpret scripture and read scripture in a way that's consistent with biblical orthodoxy down through the ages and that is becoming increasingly significant when everybody's quoting the bible i mean you can quote the bible you can quote the bible and make it say whatever you want listen you can you can get your vision for whatever it is you're after, and you can go find a verse. If you want, to help, if you want help finding one, I'll help you find one. It means you can just do it. You can hijack just about any piece of ancient literature to say what you want it to say. But that doesn't make it true. So, what happens since the creed is born out of Scripture, and the church has seen the creed as a valuable rule or standard by which we interpret scripture we want to get in on that we, we want to learn from that uh, so and I'll say more about that as we go as we go a little further down the road I don't want to bore you to death this morning on our first Sunday here's what I really wanted to get to the third point how does it help us what's the value of the creed And I want to talk about this because we come from different church backgrounds. Not everybody will see this the same way. Uh, some of you have grown up in an evangelical church that viewed the creed favorably. You, maybe you, you've, you're very familiar with the creed, and it works for you. You're like, hey, I'm glad we're bringing this back. Uh, others of you, maybe not so much. I mean, if you, if you are a former Catholic and you felt like when you, were, when you were in the Catholic church that what you heard was a hollow religious chant, a mechanical, obligatory, perfunctory thing that was just empty, I could see you struggling with this you're like, vain repetition is not pleasing to God. Totally agree with that. We're not promoting vain repetition. On the other hand, some of you um, maybe grew up in Baptist churches most of your life that rarely, if ever, use the creed. And you're thinking, our pastor has pretty much lost his mind. He's trying to make us high church liturgical people. No, he's not. So, So we've got all sorts of different backgrounds. I, what I would like to do this morning is try to find some really healthy common ground as to why the creed would be valuable no matter what our background and perspective will be. So let me give you three purposes, three values, three ways that the creed helps us. Clarity, maturity, and unity. The creed will help us at least in these three ways. We're gonna talk about them, I'm gonna try to weave them in and out throughout the series. Clarity, maturity, and unity. Let's start with clarity. The creed will help us to see more clearly who we are and who God is. Personal clarity and theological clarity. What I mean by personal clarity is that you're gonna have to decide whether or not you believe this. So when you, say the cre- when, you, when you see the creed, when you, when you have this moment of, okay, am I gonna recite this? Is this what I believe? It really will help you with personal clarity in terms of faith. Not what your parents believe or your friends believe, but whether or not you can say, I believe this. Whether or not you can say that. Uh, I was a freshman at the University of Georgia and I was sitting outside of my dorm room in a car in the parking lot with my college pastor who'd been with me for like two and a half hours and I was in the front seat with him and we were talking for about two and a half hours and, and he was just so patient with me and finally he said, Pete, you're just gonna have to decide whether or not you believe. Not, not whether you have it all figured out not whether you have the answer to all of your questions, but whether or not you can believe. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because without believing, you can't be justified. Because without trusting in Him, the reason the creed, listen to this, the reason the creed, it starts, well let me do do it this way, the creed does not start with this, I will do this. It doesn't start with I will. It doesn't start with I work. It doesn't start with I will attain. It doesn't start with I am good enough. The creed doesn't start with those words. Why? Because the creed starts with the gospel. I believe means I've come to the place of realizing I cannot save myself. It's by grace through faith that anybody's ever saved. And the creed echoes that. I believe, I trust, I'm I'm willing to place my hope and, and confidence in someone else. I cannot save myself. So the creed will bring you personal clarity. Personal clarity about your faith. And it will keep bringing you back to personal clarity because you, just like me, will keep trying to remake your own religion in a different direction. But the creed brings you back to gospel religion. It says, I believe. Over and over again, I believe. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. The only way to get justified, the only way to get right with God, be made right with God, to, to be seen as righteous even when you're not is by faith in the Son of God. So it brings personal clarity. It also brings theological clarity. Um, the creed brings us theological clarity. What do we believe about God? How are we gonna be protected from heresy? How do we know what orthodoxy is? And how do we really know that so that our radar goes off? Well, the creed will help form in us a sense of theological clarity. So we'll come back to that one. Deal? What's the first point? Clarity, it's on the screen, right? Secondly, maturity. The creed has a formative purpose. It has a maturing purpose. It is instructive for new believers, yes. As as new believers confess, and this has happened throughout the history of the church, they confess their faith at baptism by reciting the creed. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus, his son? Yes. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And they would be baptized. It's instructive for new believers as they confess their faith in baptism, and it remains formative for all believers as we mature in the Christian life. And so it's for the whole of the Christian life. That's what we mean by by formative or maturing. Uh, It forms and shapes us in a balanced way. Though the creed is not long, it is balanced. It's marked by theological proportion and symmetry. All right, think about that. The creed is marked by theological proportion and symmetry so that it keeps us from getting out of balance. And getting out of balance is easy to do in the Christian life. So like, some people, you say, okay, well, tell me, what is Christianity about? Is Christianity mainly, oh, well, Christianity is mainly about the Holy Spirit, living the Spirit-filled life. No, 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 Christianity is about abiding in Christ. The main thing you need to know about Christianity is that you are to abide in Christ. Someone else says, no, 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 no. The main thing you need to know about Christianity is the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible. That's the most important thing. Don't ever forget that. Someone else says, no, prayer and fasting and the interior life, that's what matters most. Integrity in the gospel, that's what matters most. No, we need to be thinking about the end times, the end times, the return of Christ, the, the rapture of the church, heaven. We need to be thinking about those things. That's what we need to be focused on. And so people, all sorts of different interests and, and perspectives, and it's really easy if we're not careful, any one of us to get, to get out of balance to not have a balanced theological perspective. And the creed has this sort of built-in holistic balance about it. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you and um, have a little bit of fun while I'm doing it. So you've seen the guy at the gym, right, who's all up top. Big chest, massive biceps, shoulders, but when he comes around the other side of the half wall you see him and he looks like he's walking on chopsticks you know what i'm talking about he's he's what we might call asymmetrical he's not symmetrical he's not balanced in fact here's what we know about him he's not as strong as he thinks he is cuz his biggest muscle groups down here his quads and his hammies and his glutes and the core all those big muscle groups they don't get any work they don't ever get any work And somebody small who's skilled and and agile could get him to the ground pretty quickly because he's so top-heavy. So he's really not as strong as he thinks. He doesn't look as good as he thinks. And he doesn't fight as well as he thinks. So he's out of balance. That is exactly what happens with us as believers. We kind of get on this favorite exercise this favorite doctrine and we're just like ripping them out i mean our biceps are just or you know or or the shoulders or the and we're just we're just constantly on that theme here's what the creed does the creed says oh time out if you're going to mature and do this thing long term your whole body needs to be exercised you need both tone and strength and flexibility you need all those things You don't just need, you don't just need guns. (laughs) I'm resisting commenting on some things that are closer to home in my own life right now. Here's what Alistair McGrath says about how the creed works. Listen to this. Many people have found their faith strengthened and matured by being forced to think through areas of faith they would not have explored without the creed. See the creed, he says, see the creed as an invitation to explore and discover areas of the gospel that otherwise you might overlook. That's exactly what the creed helps us to do. It just brings balance and symmetry and perspective to our our lives spiritually, theologically, and so it keeps bringing us back to a time-tested, balanced approach. Ephesians 4 says this. Ephesians 4, Paul says, we need to keep working toward a growth that unites us in our faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, listen to this, to mature manhood to the fullness of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the fullness of Christ. Here's what the creed will help you do. The creed will help you to exercise your whole, your whole mind and your whole body, spiritually speaking. And it will really give you a broad perspective and I think help us to move toward Christian maturity. It'll force us to study some things that we might not have an interest in. Here's the third thing. So what's the first point? Clarity. Secondly, maturity. Third, unity. All right, let's think about unity. The final thing the creed does is that it, it unites us. It reminds us, as we recite the creed, whether we do it privately and personally or whether we do it corporately in the church, it reminds us that to believe is to belong. And every single person in this room wants to belong. I mean, everybody has this like built-in desire to belong. That's what the creed fosters. In fact, the creed fosters belonging in the right way to the right thing for the right reasons. All all sorts of people want to believe, I mean, uh, all sorts of people want to belong. They want to belong to all sorts of different things. Those are not necessarily life-giving things. The creed reminds us that to believe is to belong, it's, it's to become, so to become a Christian, think about it like this, to become a Christian is to enter a community of faith that stretches back to the very upper room in which Jesus met with the first disciples. When you confess that same faith, you're tying your life to the first band of disciples. That's an awesome thought. Like, are you a disciple of Jesus? Yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus just like the first disciples. How do we know that? Because I believe what they believed. I believe what they believed. When you place your trust in Jesus to save you, at that moment, you become a member of His body, His church, the very church that uses the creed to express its faith. Think about all the believers. Think about all the believers who've ever lived. Think about all the believers who've ever lived in Nigeria. Indonesia, Russia, Spain, Shanghai, all over the world throughout church history reciting these same words. The creed just gives a sense of ancient perspective. It gives a sense of global perspective. It gives a sense of universal perspective. It's really amazing to think that the words you just said a few minutes ago, I believe, I believe, I believe, right? I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the, that those words have been said billions of times as a gospel confession all over the world. That's mind-blowing. Like, here's why I'm encouraged by that, because if no one else in the Cave Spring area was following Jesus or believing in Jesus, I would know at least that there are other believers all over the world who are believing this. That's, that's an incredibly um, encouraging thought, like strengthening thought, That no matter what's happening here, all over the world, at any given moment, like right now in different time zones all over the world, people are saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God the Father. I believe in the Spirit. So it brings, so the unity that it brings is universal. It it ties us to this global community of faith. But it also is local, and it ties us together here in this body. We don't have to wonder, um, what does she believe? What does he believe? Oh, yes, we have a church doctrinal statement. When was the last time you guys studied the Baptist faith and message? Come on, be honest with me, Rob. Was it last week, Matt, Chuck, Steve? I mean, so we're not looking at the Baptist faith and message every week. Maybe we should be, but... (laughs) But, but, but what we, so when we take the creed and we say it together, we're teaching one another what we believe in a really memorable, poetic, beautiful, and theologically precise kind of way. And it serves this as, as the center, it really does serve as center. Yes, we believe in the Baptist faith and message, that doctrinal statement is important, and you should, you should know the details of that and what it says and what it does not say, but so many things in the Baptist faith and message are actually in that secondary or third category. They kind of move out from the center. The creed really is at the center. The creed is, is the center of, the, of gospel belief for us. And so, you might not believe that baptism has to be by immersion, but we, we, if you were going to become a member of this church, we would baptize you underwater by immersion. We're Baptists. We have denominational commitment. We're, by conviction, we believe that you should be baptized by immersion because we think the Bible teaches that. But you don't have to be baptized by immersion to be a Christian. And we would say you can, you can be a follower of Jesus and have a different perspective on baptism but what you can't do is deny what's in the creed. Because if you deny what's in the creed, you just left Christianity. Are you with me? You just left Christianity. So we here find unity in the gospel, and the creed just keeps feeding that center for us. So so what do we believe and why do we believe it and what's this church all about? So it gives us gospel unity. The second thing I want you to know about unity in the local church sense is that it gives us directional unity. And it's the last thing and then we're done. It gives us directional unity. What I mean by directional unity is that the creed is kind of like a map. Uh, J.I. Packer in his, in his book Affirming the Apostles' Creed which we've got some of these available for you in the commons. You can reimburse us for us. There's an envelope out there reimburse, I think, $10 or something like that. Uh, And so I would strongly encourage, if you're interested in studying a little further, getting into the creed with us, we'll have these available for you. Packer talks a little bit about directional unity in in the early pages of this because he he says the creed is like a map. I thought that's a great example. The creed is like a map. The Bible is like a map in that it is a large-scale, very detailed map. And so, for example, if you get out your phone and you look at the details of the map right on the phone, you get in, you get started getting into the, if you get into the large scale version, you start pressing further and further in, you see detailed streets and, and street names and you start seeing topography and all that. I mean, you can really get into the details as you keep pressing further and further in on your phone as you're looking at the map. Sometimes what you have to do, and this is kinda where Packer's going, is you have to back out and see where the county line is, see where the state line is, see where the boundary of the country is, so you can have perspective, so that you can know where you're heading. Am I heading north? I'm on this journey, right? So Packer says, life is a journey, and the creed is like a map, and it's a really good map, because it doesn't have everything on it. Sometimes you need to back out and not see everything. You need to see these really important points, the most important points along the way, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so you're in this journey on life and you're making progress toward your maker and how can you be reminded that you're heading in the right direction over and over again? He says the creed gives direction in that sense. So that's what I want to encourage you to think about. As we, as we go into this next year as a church, what, how, do we get, how will we have directional unity? I mean, we've all got different ideas about what church should be like. How do we have unity of direction as a church? The creed really brings us back and centers us. So it gives us gospel unity. It gives us directional unity. It's like a map for us. I want to encourage you as we press in and we study for the next several weeks, like we're on this journey together through life, let's stop at the right places along the way, these big important places on the journey and think about who God is and what he intends for us. All right, so we're going to pray and that's where we're headed and we're going to sing again.